0: Have you ever been in an unfamiliar city trying to find your way around with maps and landmarks and limited knowledge of the landscape? A few years ago, Carl and I had the chance to go to New York City with some friends, which has always been a dream of mine. But we basically had only one day to see the sights. So we started early and rapid fire raced around from place to place, trying to hit all our highlights. you know Central Park, Brooklyn Bridge, the Seinfeld Diner. It was fun. And I think it was about 8 or 9 p.m. We were exhausted after running all day, about to hop on the train back out of the city. But then we looked up and noticed that just a few blocks away was the Empire State Building, which was open for just one more hour. And like, who goes to New York City and misses the Empire State Building, right? So we we booked it over, dashed into the lobby, bought tickets, jumped into the elevator, made our way up to the viewing platform where we looked out over that beautiful skyline, only to notice, there in the distance, the very distinct silhouette of the Empire State Building, at which point we looked down at our tickets, noticing for the first time the words, Welcome to the Chrysler Building, which is apparently a different thing. Have you ever poured your guts out to get to a destination that turned out not to be where you thought you were headed at all. That's the vibe that's starting to emerge for the Israelites by Exodus chapter 17. We've been watching this pathway to liberation unfold, how God came and rescued them from oppression in Egypt, you know, parted the Red Sea. We've talked over the past two weeks of how God's been faithful to lead and provide, even in the desert, turning bitter water sweet, bringing manna and quail for food. God stays close to them. His presence visible as a pillar of cloud by day and a cloud of fire by night. You'd think the Israelites would be at peace in the center of this kind of care. But it's not quite stacking up that way in their minds. Verse 1, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Tensions are high in the desert. If things are not going according to plan, although they keep moving and God appears to be leading them, they are not getting where they thought they were going. Now, where's home? Where are the vineyards, the abundance, the life getting easier? Where's the food you don't have to pick up off the dirt in the morning? They expected a promised land, but they're stuck in a wilderness where there is no water again. Even Moses sounds like he's running out of patience. He's a little like an exasperated dad threatening to pull this car over if that bickering in the backseat doesn't stop even sounds like he's losing confidence in God. Complaining, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. Emotions are through the roof all over the place in this passage. Emotions will do that when you feel vulnerable, untaken care of, not in control. When you thought you were following a plan and suddenly the bottom falls out from underneath you. In verse 7, there's a gut-wrenching question that hangs in the air over all of it. Is the Lord here with us or not? Ever found yourself asking that question? You know, call it refitim, call it a wilderness, call it grief, loneliness. Call it the smoldering wreckage of a marriage that once held so much promise. A parenting journey that feels out of your depth. An empty bank account. crumbling faith. A diagnosis you didn't want to hear. Have you ever felt like you trusted God to take you somewhere into something beautiful? And if you just followed all the steps, maybe in faith even threw away your safety net, that maybe you could fly. But instead, found yourself in free falls. Where are the arms that were supposed to catch you? Is the Lord here with us or not? the thing is here, they're not wrong. This is a problem. Their assessment of the circumstances is pretty accurate. You know, humans need water. There was no water and God had led them here. These are the facts of the case. The need was real and raw, and they weren't going to make it if left like this. The need was not irrational, but their fear was, because they had forgotten already what kind of a god they were dealing with. They got so focused on what was in front of their faces that they lost sight of the who who was standing by their side this situation was not what they wanted needed or quite frankly had expected from a god who promised goodness and the minute they saw that they couldn't see anything else you know they they had other choices they could have pulled back and looked at what god had already done there was ample evidence of his faithfulness and love they could have leaned in And looked harder for what he might be doing now. Instead, they just slid into a posture of anger, fear, blame, despair, and a heartbeat. And our temptation is probably to judge the Israelites. I mean, how do you doubt if the God who parts a sea for you to walk through, miraculously puts breakfast on your doorstep every day, is really on your side? But I think this is the story we sit right in the middle of all the time. We, too, have a God who's been faithful and good and present in a thousand different ways. It is all around us, both universally and very personally. And still, we sound an awful lot like the Israelites an awful lot of the time, filled with complaint and disappointment. Because circumstances slide off course in our lives. Things don't go the way we want or hope or sometimes genuinely need. And whether that's internal angst or external struggles, a pandemic that will not end, relationships we don't know how to manage, big important needs that God is not fulfilling. And I think we have a lot of trouble putting those two realities together. If God's here and God's good, isn't everything supposed to be easier than this? You know, Doesn't life go up and to the right from here? Should I be stuck in such an unsatisfying relationship? Should my business be tanking, my bills so hard to pay? Should my parents be so difficult? Should I need that substance or that cut so badly? when those realities collide, we pull back our trust, our belief in, our willingness to follow, our our unequivocal, I'm with you the way you're with me. We yank that back. And then we wonder why we feel so on our own. Is the Lord here with us or not? It's curious that the lack of water is the circumstance that God's brought them to again. Because we've actually done this one before. Two chapters back, there was no good water. God told Moses to throw a stick in and voila, bitter water became sweet. Rescue! But here they are back again with the same old problem. And I wonder what that did in their hearts and minds. I know where I'd go. Sure, two weeks ago, months ago, years ago, God gave water and now it's gone again. Everything is unstable. Nothing can be counted on. Nobody's looking out for us. Rescue didn't hold. I wonder if the loop told them, this is no different than Egypt. We're no freer now than before. Yeah, but maybe God has a different kind of freedom in mind. See, they wanted to change circumstances but God is after changed hearts. You know, God's primary concern wasn't how to get water into his people. It was how to get trust into his people. The kind of water that never runs dry. You know, the, the thing they thought they wanted, which was to solve the crappy circumstance, wasn't actually the thing they needed most. They needed to learn something so much deeper and truer about who God is and who they are in and to and through God. But they hadn't learned the rhythms of that relationship yet. They hadn't learned to hold their hands open and wait for a gift. Or even to simply ask for help. That wasn't asking. Trust and love were foreign concepts even though God was right there laying them out day after day after day. But they couldn't see it yet. 400 years of abuse, oppression, and pain will do that. The habits of slavery were longer and deeper and truer in them. Even if liberation was closer and had shone brighter, they'd not yet learned how to live as the loved children of God. Now, they'd experienced some amazing things, but slavery was in their muscle memory. And when things started going south, what they knew was to fear and grab and fight and force to get their own needs met. I and mean, they had held on to one story so much longer, it was difficult for them to let go and trust that they were living in a new day, where their physical needs, along with their much deeper ones for identity purpose, security were all held in the hands of a God who would not let them go, no matter what the circumstances said. So, what kind of stories have you been holding on to for so long? Got any that are hard to let go of? And What do you tell yourself about life and God when things don't go the way you want? What are the Broken parts of your heart try to tell you about where there's hope and where there's none. The loudest story is not always the truest story. Sometimes it's just muscle memory and it needs to get worked out of us. And God is on it. See, I think the no water loop was absolutely on purpose. I mean, for the Israelites, the lack of water is bad deja vu. They don't want to remember this feeling again of not having enough, of not being taken care of, of the bottom falling out. But I think God wants them to remember, like, yes, we've been here before, and I already showed you I can do this. Believe in me again. I wonder if he didn't bring them back to the very same problem. Actually, one layer worse. There isn't even bitter water here. There's nothing but a rock. Because he too was trying to link back two chapters ago, not to pull the rug out from under them, but to say, remember? Remember who I am? I am a water-giving God, even when it looks like there's no water to be had. I'm a hope-giving God, even when it looks like there's no hope to be had. He calmly tells Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out. God is doing more than one callback here. He's pointing them all the way back to their release from Egypt with that staff as the symbol of everything God could and would do to set his people free. He's saying this is the same power, the same love. It's all still right here. Egypt wasn't a one and done. It's who I am. And you can trust me always. That's what God was saying 2,000 years ago in the desert. It's what he's saying still today. Same power, same love. It's right here. Trust me. And so the question to us is, have we learned the rhythms of that relationship with God? Are we learning them? Can we lean into a posture of trust when adversity strikes? Because God is not after a moment, but a movement of soul, a whole new way of being. And so how do we lean into that instead of resist it? One, we can choose where we point our eyes. The Israelites had to choose. Keep looking obsessively at the details in front of their faces or learn how to look to their God. And we get the very same choice. Circumstances are always going to be the swirl that presents first. But they're temporary. They don't tell you much truth. We don't even see them clearly. We need to get good at spotting God instead. Remembering who God has been in the past, his faithfulness, his goodness. Those qualities still hold true even in the midst of this unbearable thing that you're having to bear. So where can you still see God? Two, we can better understand the nature of trust itself. You know, that it's something that has to be built repeatedly over time and that it builds best when you need it. Meaning, by definition, trust-building requires adversity. And adversity is so uncomfortable. Yet that discomfort you're being faced with might just be exactly the thing you need to build what God is trying to build inside your heart which could just be the thing that saves your life and others. Your trust isn't a one-and-done episode. We have to re-enter it with courage again and again and again until that becomes our new muscle memory. Also, it isn't an emotion. And the experience often doesn't feel like trust at all. It feels like free-falling. But instead, it's a choice. It's how we walk, what we do. That's when trust becomes real. And trust is the only way to actual freedom. The kind that can't be taken away. A security that sits way deep down into your soul. And three, we can lean into relationship. A daily and dynamic connection with the one who's calling us into freedom. through spiritual practices that help us recognize the shape of God in the world around us, help us to hear that voice and to live in love. And in the safety of that relationship, when adversity hits, we can be honest about grief and pain and frustration without being angry and fearful and accusing, without losing perspective and our center, our trust is way more about who God is, not what God will or won't do. And it's about who you will be, regardless of circumstances. Is the Lord with us or not? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In First Corinthians, it says, Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours, as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ the ever-flowing source of our spiritual lives, the, the rock that was struck for us then and now is Jesus. And he's right here saying, it's not about the water, guys. It's about my arms that are here always, that will catch you always and hold you always. Whether the issue is water or food or a place to call home, or a messed up marriage, or a messed up kid, or a messed up life, or a messed up heart. I'm here and I've got you always. And all these words are anything but theoretical to me. In the past two years, I've experienced devastating loss of friendship, livelihood, certainty. I've lost a friend to COVID. And an uncle who was closer than my own dad. And I've watched things happen in the world and in the body of Christ that some days leave me with more questions than answers about how close God is. But then I catch a glimpse of light at the edge of the cloud, and it drowns everything else out. Because I know how many real-life Red Seas I've already crossed. And I remember what kind of a God I'm dealing with. And that I can trust those arms. And we can. Now, is the Lord with us or not? Let's learn how to hear the yes. Now, I'd love to live in a land where our first instinct to adversity is to bend immediately into that posture of Trust. I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to go. And I believe we can do this. We can practice this one day, one need, one storm at a time with God. And we can practice it together for and with and among each other too. And if we can learn to do that, it will spill out into the rest of the spaces of our lives and this world as well. And how beautiful would that be? So, tender God, mighty one, would you teach us what it means to be held? Would you show us the pathway to trust? Give us courage to meet you there in that space where you have always been. Would you help us to take our eyes off of our messy circumstances and to fix them on your gaze instead. Would you rewrite our muscle memory until we know your goodness so deep down in our bones that we just cannot live any other way but out of that. You are a water-giving God, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.